to the show. I'm Lucas Favalli, and this is Crunch Chronicles Season 2, presented by Wendy's. Our summer break is over, and we're ready to roll into the new season of the show. We hope you enjoyed all of our guests and shows from Season 1. Now, of course, if you haven't listened to those yet, you can always go back and listen wherever you're listening to this or wherever you listen to any podcasts. And if you haven't already shared the show with someone you know, well, please do, or at least consider doing that. We'd uh, really appreciate that, of course. Whether you've been a Crunch fan since day one, or maybe you're new this year, Crunch Chronicles really is a, a great way to hear from the people who have helped make this team what it is today. Whether it's on the ice, off the ice, great stories, great people since day one back in 1994. Speaking of that, we've heard some great stories and anecdotes over the course of season one. Today on the show, we'll hear some snippets from several of those episodes from season one. Plus, you'll get a little sneak peek into the first few episodes of season two. To kick things off, we go back to the very first episode of the show and hear from Pat Maroon, who spent two seasons in Syracuse when the team was affiliated with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Anaheim took a chance to me, and, you know, I ended up getting traded to Syracuse, and it was probably the best thing ever happened to me. You know, it was um, very good. Um, you know, moving to Syracuse, I actually loved Syracuse, by the way. Uh, I've never got to say that. That was probably one of my favorite spots to play, probably my favorite spot to play in the minors. I love the city. There's a lot to do. And uh, but yeah, it's, it was a tough it was a tough grind. My my headspace was it was either I was going to retire, go back home, and you know take care of my kid, or you know I put it all together and I sacrifice it and you know get my act together and you know figure out how I'm going to make the best life for my son at home and my future family because that's what I need to do. I need to you know work hard for him and. Uh, be someone to look up to so um i think about those times i think it was some bad times but it was probably some of the best times in my life knowing that it was a wake up call and it was probably the best thing to happen i get traded to syracuse crunch we had a good team <clears throat> you know i came in we didn't make the playoffs my first year or uh had a good year and then my second year trayani kind of took over it was probably a good mentor for me myself in my pro career he kind of took me under his wing he believed in me he thought i could play in the nhl i ended up having a heck of a year that year i think i ended up putting up 74 points for the crunch we lost in the first round though to st john's we got swept but i thought we had a really good team you know to do some work and damage in the calder cup but you know just obviously it wasn't our year but you know those those times in the crunch were one of my favorite times you know i felt comfortable i you know, I, I produced in Syracuse. The fans were unbelievable, sold out every single night. We had good teams, and um, it was just good, a good community, too. So uh, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, especially when Trayani took over. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that that season, and we can start there with the 2011-12 the year. And you mentioned Trent Yachty takes over the team. You, know, you had a like talent-wise, there was a lot of good players. You Nick Benino, uh, Peter Holland, Kyle Palmieri, among many others, including yourself on that team. But kind of a up and down start to the year. Then Trent takes over, and you guys go on that great run down the stretch. You you make the playoffs. You do run into the St. John's. But you know what, what stands out from you know the players on that team to to, to Trent to everything that happened during the course of that season uh, for you? Well, I think what stands out to me is just like we had everyone on that team. I think Brian McGrath was down that year and he got traded. Uh, Nick Benino, Kyle Palmieri, Peter Holland, um, God, Matt Clark, um, Dan Sexton was there. I think Brendan McMillan was there at one point, wasn't he? Or, or Matt Bolesky. I mean, we had a lot of good names that like went on and are still playing in NHL or had successful careers or years in the NHL. And that's what kind of stands out to me is just like how much talent we had on that team and how much we we moved on to the NHL. That, that either they had a two-year, three-year career or they're still playing five-year career. It just goes to show you how much talent we had and how much um, how many good young players uh, Anaheim Ducks system had. And I think Trey did an amazing job of – teaching us you know what it takes to get to the next level and this is what you need to do and i'm telling you if you do these things you will have a successful career and some of us took advantage of it and obviously some of us some didn't but you know we had a great group of guys that year i think nate gennon was there and one of my best friends and i just think you know you had a veteran group that was around and you know, taught the young guys, you know, how to be pros. And But I think Trent Yanni was such a good mentor to not only me, but a lot of other players. He was hard on us, but in a good way. That means he cared about us. So um, it was a great adapt adaption. I think we, we were – I don't think we were in playoffs when he took over and then we strung off all these wins to make it to the playoffs. I thought we were going to have a huge run in the playoffs that year, but we ran into a good St. John's team. But, yeah, I think most importantly is just – the culture of Trangani and how he wanted things to be and uh, just the young talent we had and all those names you just listed off. Next, we move to two players who were teammates and roommates during their time in Syracuse, Carter Verhage and Ross Colton. Verhage discussed his emergence while he was with the Crunch and Colton talked about winning the Stanley Cup and scoring the cup-clinching goal as a rookie. It's weird with me. I think it always takes a little bit of time for me to kind of adopt. It takes about a year and whatever, wherever I've been, I mean, so I, I think it just all the, co- like learning, being there for a year, kind of getting to know all the coaches and what they expect and all my teammates and just kind of being familiar with, uh, with everything. I mean, obviously the BG and, and all the coaches that I had there were definitely they were hard on me, but they definitely uh, definitely made me a better player. And uh, I mean, it was I had a great time in Syracuse. Oh, you mentioned BG Ben Grew, and and I remember you know your first year here, you you were hurt at the very start of the year coming out of training camp, but then you 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 know you're ready to try to jump in the lineup, and uh, a couple weeks get into the season, and you're still not in there yet. And I, I know it's kind of a story that's been told a bit, but uh, you know you you go banging on the door for Ben Grew, right, and you you get your way into the lineup. Tell us how uh, how the conversation went, and and uh, how that all transpired. Yeah, I think. Uh... 
I, well, I was, I think I came, I came in and they didn't really, I don't think they really know what kind of player I was or like really who I was that, that much. So, I mean, all they could really see was practice or whatever. So, and I was hurt. So, I mean, they didn't even really see that. So, I mean, I, I think we, that start of the year, we weren't very good and I, I was healthy for probably, I think we were losing a couple of games and then like I was healthy for a week or two and I wasn't getting in the lineup. So I, I was pretty much done with it. I told him like, uh, I went in there and I was like, Hey, kind of thing. And I guess, uh, yeah, he, he gave me a opportunity and from there I just kind of, kind of went with it. Yeah, no, it, it means a lot. I know I, I said this before, but, you know, I just give credit to, you know, coach Cooper who, you know, believed in me to, you know, play me every game and, you know, put me out there in certain, certain situations. So you know, I give a lot of credit to him, but, you know, at the same time, you know, that play wouldn't happen with, you know, those five other guys on the ice and, you know, I just, you know, you go back through the play, you know, Stammer does a great job on the wall. Then McDonough does an unbelievable job walking, the, you know, the blue line to draw those two wingers down to Savard, who, you know, I said, it's funny too, you know, me and him connected on the goal and we were the only two guys who, you know, weren't a part of it the year before. So I thought that was, you know, pretty cool. And then, you know, he kind of did all the work and kind of gift wrapped it for me right on the back door there. And I kind of just had to tap it in. So uh, it was just, it was awesome to, you know, be able to, you know, score that goal and, you know, uh, that the last, I guess it was period and a half felt like a lifetime. I'm not going to lie sitting there on that bench. I don't know if I was sweating from going on the ice or just sweating. Cause I was so nervous, but, uh, you know, I'm glad the one, nothing lead held on. I would have loved, you know, an insurance goal from somebody else, but you know, it, uh, now that it's all said and done, it was just, you know, awesome to, you know, put that one in. Well, it helps you have Vassie back there, the best goalie in the, in yes. the world for sure. <laughs> well, like you mentioned that the last period and half felt like forever. What do you remember from the, that night, whether, you know, through the course of the game and and you know, the celebrations after what do you remember from the rest of that night? I, I remember scoring the goal. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember scoring the goal. And then I think we were only out there for a little bit. I had to get off the ice cause I couldn't catch my breath. Cause I was just so worked up. And I remember, you know, the intermission just being like, okay, let's like, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And then, you know, that first nine minutes or so, then there was a TV timeout, you know, Coop, Coop called us in and said, you know, let's keep playing our game type of thing. And I'm like, holy crap, we still have like 11 more minutes left. Like that was the longest, you know, nine minutes of my life. Like, you know, this is going to take forever. Like why is the clock moving so slow? And then, you know, once it hit zero, just selling, selling with the boys was awesome. And then I remember, you know, my mom was, uh, you know, sick and wasn't able to be there. So I remember FaceTiming her from the ice and she was crying. And then my brother and my dad were, you know, fortunate enough to be there. Just, you know, I have a really cool picture that we got framed up on my wall. It's, you know, me pouring, you know, champagne in my brother's face. And just like looking back on, you know, the pictures and moments to you know, be able to share with all them uh, was just awesome to, you know, for them to be in the locker room with all the guys and, you know, and then, you know, luckily my mom felt better and was able to come down, you know, a couple of days later for the boat parade and whatnot. But, you know, that whole week just went by so fast and you know, I wish I could have, you know, slowed down and, you know, taken a minute to soak it all in, but, you know, you get so caught up in the moment and then, you know, the alcohol takes over, but, you know, it was, it was still, you know, you know, unbelievable time and, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. We didn't solely focus on the ice in season one, and one of the most entertaining guests of the season may have been the Crunch's chief financial officer, Vance Lederman. Here's one off the top of my head. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I am. So, uh, so there's a Jewish holiday 
It's called Passover. Okay. Yeah. I know you. I yeah. know you're aware of it. And you know, Howard and I celebrate Passover. So there, there's a, there's a a there's a tradition. At Passover, you take a piece of matzah and you hide it. So we took about five pieces of matzah and we hid it around the rink. And we asked we asked people to find it. So we found four to five. So about six months later, <laughs> we're walking around the rink. We're like, what is, what, what? is that the matzo from like six months ago? And we, and, and the matzo was there. And uh, no, I didn't eat it. I will tell you that. I'm surprised. But yeah, I saw my actually, really, because at that time I was eating everything. <laughs> You're still eating everything these I, days, man. Kind of sort of, kind of sort of. But yeah, I just thought it was hysterical that... We, we couldn't find it. We looked, and then by chance, we found We just cracked up. Like, it, I can't believe that is what it is, you know? If you're a Crunch fan, chances are you've seen the video of the penalty box fight. Well, who better to share that story than the man at the center of it, Big Bad John Baduke? You know what? I, we each have our little our niche in, in, in life, and you know what? I chose to... I chose to do that. I'm a hardworking guy, and, you know, I'll do whatever it takes for, for my team and my teammates. And, you know what, it was a lot of fun. I kind of made a bang there the first game when I climbed over <laughs> the penalty box. And <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, it was like, well, here, here's John. Here's the team. <laughs> and you know what, and I think that's just kind of with, like you asked there before, what was it like? Well, that was the excitement of, and the buzz in Syracuse was, was overwhelming and wow. And then I go and do that and you know, probably put a few people in the stands after that. <laughs> <laughs> I would certainly think so. I, I, that's a show you got to see. Well, you've, you've alluded to it a little bit. Obviously, uh, that, that is one of the most memorable moments in, in now 28 years of crunch hockey. There's no doubt about it. And it was a preseason game, like you said. So take us through it. It's a preseason game. You're facing the Rochester Americans. There's a line brawl on the ice. And all of a sudden, you end up in the in the opposing penalty box. What happened? How'd that all take place? And and fill us in you know what it was i just got i mean some of us just got there from vancouver camp and i remember driving in i wasn't in town very long and i remember driving in and and uh with my with my now wife and she didn't even know i played hockey (laughs) 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 and uh you know didn't even see me play and then uh i remember uh in the hotel Syracuse because uh, George McPhee, Pat Quinn, Rick Lee, like all the Van- Vancouver brass, they were all in town and I introduced my wife to all them and, and she's like, mm, yeah, okay. Like had no clue who she was just meeting. And uh, <laughs> so she ended up sitting with them in the stands and then, yeah. So then out in the game. So I don't even remember who it was, but one of the Americans wanted to, uh, wanted to challenge me and I'm like, yeah, no, I don't even know who you are. And I just got into town, not today type of thing. Right. So then I get taken to the penalty box and as I'm in the penalty box, then there gets to be the big scuffle and everybody got involved. So, I mean, we, we were the odd man out because I was in the penalty box and I just remember this guy going around and he sucker punched, I think Ian McIntyre and, 
And uh, I think he even tried kicking one of the one of the I think it was Johnny Nemesnikov. I think he tried kicking him in the head. And when he came in the penalty box, I'm like, all right, now now I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you needed to and see. I remember <laughs> I remember talking through the glass through and the other guys come in the penalty box and yeah, like he threw his gloves and stick and water bottle at me into my box and yeah, from there it was kind of a blur. I kind of remember climbing over Mark Solak and the score clock and kneeling on the top sheet of the glass and well, I've gone this far. I might as well keep going. But the guy that I went after wasn't even in there. It was a buddy of mine from junior hockey, Shane Knighty. So I went to go get this other guy, but he jumped back out on the ice. <laughs> so I never did get him. Baduke was one of the toughest to ever don the crunch sweater. But another season one guest may have him beat. Zanin Kanapka arrived in Syracuse on an average crunch team in the mid-2000s, and he immediately set out to change the culture of the team on the ice. So the next night we're playing Hamilton. So this is really my first game with the crunch, and, um, and Hamilton was good team and again Syracuse our record wasn't very good and we're beating them and and um, I believe I fought in the game and had a goal and it was about 25 seconds left in the games and the game was already I think we were up six twos and someone said to, was something to one of our better players and I said well as soon as the puck drops we're, we're going to fight you know you're not saying anything to are better players anymore. And uh, the coach saw this and he changed. He sent the guy on for, for me to change. So I slowly got back to the bench and I sat up there on the bench and he knew I wasn't happy. So the coach, Ross Yates, comes down and said, you know, you had a great game, you know, great, you know, great goal, great fight. And, um, you know, but I don't want you, you know, we don't want anyone getting hurt and, you know, we don't need that, you know, garbage at the end of the game. And I said, uh, I said, never embarrass me like that again. And he said, what? I said, never embarrass me like that again. And I said, I got traded here. You guys want to switch the culture. I said, if someone's going to trip one of our best players, I don't care if it's a warm-up. I don't care if it's in the last minute of the game. I don't care if it's in the parking lot. I'm fighting them and beating the shit out of them. And, um, and he stormed down the bench, wasn't happy with the, with the comment. And uh, so then I remember coming to the rink the next day and we had one car and I was driving with my girlfriend and I said, what am I doing? Like, I just told myself I wasn't going to do this. Like, I wasn't going to engage with the coach, engage with anything, just go and play. <clears throat> so I got to the rink and um, the assistant coach said, you know, the coach wants to see this. So, you know, so you make the track up to the coach's office and I sat down and I said, coach, let me, you know, I want to, and he said, listen, I don't want to hear anything. And I was going to apologize for the way I acted. And he said, listen, I was thinking last night and I was thinking this morning and he's like, you're right. We are on the bottom of the league and you are here to train the, you know, change, change the culture. So I'm in. If you think we need to do this, then we're going to do it. I was kind of shocked, to be honest with you. I didn't think I was going to get that reaction from the coach. I thought it was going to get another tongue lashing. Um, and, you know, I don't think Ross Yates got enough credit um, for him 
like understanding that point because there's not many coaches that you know, and, and I mean, it was somewhat of a heated, you know, uh, discussion on the bench between us two when this happened. Um, so I don't think many coaches would think and, and say, okay, you're even if they thought I was right, tell me I was right. Uh, and when Ross said, no, this is what we're going to do. And <clears throat> so then, um, you know, we played, I think we played in Hamilton a couple of days later, and Palat was one of our good players. He got two hands across the face, and I looked at Ross and he said, go, do what I want to do. Bobby Mack, Bob McGelligot, had a front row seat to Kanopka and many others during his run as the Crunch's broadcaster before he made the jump to the National Hockey League. He has so many stories from his time in Syracuse, but really, it all comes back to that Kanopka-led team in 2007-2008. The thing that really does stand out is that 15-game winning streak at the end of the regular season, and then the first game of the playoffs, too. It went 16 straight before there was finally a game lost, and I will never forget, first of all, that team was crazy, and I know that... uh, uh, during the pandemic last year, you know, we did that little get together with Zenon Kanopka and Tommy Sestito and Derek McKenzie and John Morasti, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, those guys were nuts. They they were except for McKenzie, he was the level-headed guy, but they were all <laughs> nuts, and they didn't mind being nuts. And and it was it was fun, and um, it was uh, I will never experience that again. That was the last hurrah of old-time hockey. There's no doubt. Look at the way the game's played now. It's never going to happen again. When I talked to Jamie Pusher in New Jersey, he said to me that he had just been in Rochester the night before to watch the Crunch and the Amherst. And he said, everything's the same, Bobby. The building looks the same. Their uniforms are the same. The people are the same. I said, Push, let me ask you, were there 10 fights in the game? He goes, nah, there was I said, then it's not the same. That's not how it is, right? So um, th- that team was the last hurrah. And it was so fun. And it was so crazy. And Lucas, I can't even explain to you the things that I saw and I heard that they're, they're like, you got to be making that up. But no, they're not. No, I'm, I'm not making it up. Zenikonopka's got an iron burn on his back and shouldn't be playing, and he's still playing in the game. Why? Because he was wrestling with his buddies that came in to visit him. Like, what? <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it happened. Uh, taking a chisel and, and chiseling the number of games they needed to win into the wall of the dressing room. Um, who does that? Nobody, and nobody will ever do it again. But I remember one day in particular, and this is honest to God's truth, I walked into Rosh Yates' office, and he was mad, which is nothing new. He was always mad. But he, he goes, I go, what is wrong with you today? And I love that I could talk to these guys yeah. like this too, right? Here's my head coach. I go, what the hell is wrong with you today? <laughs> and he goes, uh, well, they just called up. I don't even remember who they called up. And, um, you know, there used to be a whiteboard right by the door of the office. So when he when he was sitting at his desk looking toward the door, the whiteboard was there. It had the, the lines on it. And they had, you know, who was out with injury and who was called up. And... <laughs> And he goes, they just called up somebody and he goes, look at that lineup. Bobby Mack, look at that lineup. How am I supposed to win with that lineup? I said, Ross, I'll tell you what, the way your team is playing right now, and this was maybe seven or eight games into it. I said, the way your team is playing right now, you can go down the street to that stoplight underneath I-81 where the guy's begging for money. You can sign that guy to an amateur tryout right now, put him in the lineup tonight, and you're going to win the game. I'm telling you, that's how it's going right now. And we did win that night. And we won a lot of nights after that. And there were guys, Lucas, there are guys I'm not even going to remember. I could go on to Hockey DB and look at the crunch roster from that year. And I'd be like, oh, I forgot that guy was there. He played like one game, two games. But it, it was amazing. 
because it didn't matter. Columbus called up all of our good guys and they were bringing guys in from college and guys that were never going to see another minute of ice or ever be a pro, but it didn't matter on that team. They just won and they won and they won. And we passed Manitoba really on the last day to take second place and get home ice in the first round. And there have been many success stories on the ice over the years for the crunch, but none may be as high profiled as the path of Stanley Cup champion Yanni Gord. His determination to make the NHL made him a relentless player on the ice and turned him into a fan favorite in Syracuse. I, I don't know. There's something about that year. Again, uh, I feel like every year I started in Syracuse, I started on the fourth line, uh, and I'm not joking. Um, I started that year on the fourth line uh, was with uh, Mike Almo and uh, someone else. And, um, yeah, um, I just I, I refuse to, to fold every time someone put me on the fourth line. I refuse to fold and and uh, and and sit around and watch the other guy play. So I I I every I put everything I got in practice and and every time uh, they put me on the ice, I want to show them that I belong and that I can be a, a good player. So again, um, uh, a couple maybe two three weeks into the season, uh, Coach Ben Grew um, uh, makes a change and he, he wants to put me uh, on center on the third line. So. Um, uh, Sure enough, I like I, I'm I'm excited for the challenge, and then uh, from that point on, I don't think I've ever saw the wing uh, with uh, with Ben Grew. Um, he started to uh, like me at center, the way I played, the way I worked. Um, I was uh, uh, supporting everyone with my speed, so it kind of helped help my game to 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 stay in motion all the time. And uh, it really took a, a turning point in my career because uh, putting me at center kind of um, helped me uh, use my speed more, be in motion, um, supporting, be in control. So there's a lot of things that I, I learned that year to uh, that helped my game um, get to the next level. And um, I think um, the, that move from Ben uh, really uh, was big for me and um, and uh, and for my career. And I think. Um, yeah, it must have been like one, like a, definitely one of the turning point in my career. And uh, from that point on, I just uh, uh, it went it went super well that year. Um, obviously, um, and then uh, we uh, I got a, a call up after Christmas, I think, um, to uh, to go Syracuse to Tampa. Uh, funny funny thing though. Uh, uh, before they they called me up, uh, uh, we had such a, a great like we've mentioned it. We we went to this um, the Calder Cup final that year. So our our group of guy was phenomenal. Our group of forward was great. We had so much talent, and um, I I think they, before they called me up, um, there was. Uh, I think there was nine or ten guys that at four that called uh, that were called up before me, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, so they basically they, like they give a shot to everyone that year. Um, there was a lot of injury in Tampa, I think, and um, and uh, it just showed how much depth we had on the team that year. Uh, it was pretty amazing, and uh, and uh, they give me a shot uh, later and uh, after. Uh, 
after Christmas, and um, uh, I got my first I got my first game that year, and I don't think um, I, they got me out of the lineup after that. So it was um, yeah, it was very nice to, to have that opportunity, and and that that time around, I I, I just didn't want to be a um, I, I I wanted to stick around. I wanted to show my best foot forward, and um, I, I wasn't just going to be there and and be be satisfied with uh, uh, with playing in the NHL. I wanted to make it different in in, in games, and that's that's what kind of uh, was a different maker for me. Uh, uh, I stepped on the ice, and I wanted to make a difference, and they saw that, uh, and uh, and I think that's why they they kept me around, and then I. Uh, more more game I played, the more confident I felt, and um, I was controlling the puck, making plays. Um, they put me on the PK, uh, and yeah, so it, it kind of uh, unraveled from from that point on as my NHL career like started. There were so many great guests in season one, including Mike Angelitis, Reggie Savage, Mike McKenna, Eric Nielsen, and Tyson Nash. Each episode is available wherever you're listening to this right now. Well, season two will bring a batch of new guests as we continue to uncover the stories from the Crunch's past. Here is some of what to expect this season. Well, for me, it was huge, right? I, I lived about half an hour, 25, half an hour away from Hamilton. So I lived right at home with my family, my parents still. So it was that was unique, that, uh, not, not to have to live on your own. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think Vancouver to Hamilton is, again, like we talked about with my situation, it's five hours away. Like, I don't know if there's a connection to the NHL team. So I think that made it tough. We didn't have a ton of fan support. Like, literally – I probably had the most fans of anybody because I lived so close. So my buddies and family would come, and you could spot them out anywhere. You know, like there's my sister, and my best friend, and so coming to Syracuse and and playing the style we did, and and getting the fans in there. I mean, honestly, it really did help me. I mean, it was we did it in Hamilton. I did it, and I think I had a lot of family minutes that year and fought, but. Sure, it's more fun when you get people cheering and and playing the music. I know Howard likes to play the wild thing, and and it, it just you know took off from there. Yeah, I was going to get to the wild thing, but since you mentioned it, how, <laughs> is do you how did that come about? Was it a Howard thing? Were you involved in this? It just became it blew up, obviously. Uh, yeah, I think between Howard and Jack, uh, I think they just talked about me and. And I don't even know if that song came up. It's just like, this guy's wild, man. Like, he's crazy or something. And that's all I remember. And then they asked me if I would mind. And I said, obviously, I didn't care. And I still like, you know, people today will bring up fights from either Syracuse or Hamilton or Vancouver when I got it called up. And they're always playing wild thing. And they and then it's great because I get to always reference Howard and, and the, the Syracuse Crunch. There were some fantastic people, some absolutely unbelievable people. And they're the people that I invite to my podcast now. Andy Canzanello, uh, the first day he he's a second year pro, I think at that point, but also a college kid that would know what it's like that first day of pro showing up, not really knowing what's going on. He invited me out to, you know, Qdoba or whatever, Chipotle. We went for lunch. He was great. And then, uh, you know, Jeff McMillan, another guy that stands out. There was so many great people with Syracuse at that point. And I guess that's why they were a good team. Like Mark Hardigan, Joe Motzko, the list goes on. There's some fantastic guys. Yeah, it was a it was a really good team. Ended up losing in the first round. Did you have a 
a welcome to the pros moment. Maybe it is walking downstairs and seeing uh, Mike Scroy, uh, you know, going after it. But was it, it that or is there a welcome, welcome to the pros um, moment for you that you remember? I, to be honest, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe all the fighting that was going on. I couldn't believe how big the guys were I was playing against. Um, the top two lines were like normal hockey players, but the fourth line, they were like, they were so big. And those were the guys I was out there with. And I just, yeah, it was, I, I didn't play with the confidence. I didn't play like I was comfortable. And you know what? It was hard to be comfortable with those guys out there. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. And you mentioned you had the one fight as well. Do you, you remember remember the fight? How'd it go? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had hardly got a shift uh, like every game. And um, there was a lot of fighting going on. And it was well out of hand. But I could tell the coach liked the guys that fought. So it was right at the end of the game. I, I finally got a shift. I'm like, well if fighting gets you shifts on this team, then that's what I'll go do. And I went and picked Francis Lemieux, who I ended up meeting in Germany later on, but I just went and yeah, I went and started once so that maybe the coach would realize I was willing to do anything too. I think you worded that very well because there's the on ice aspect where you know that they're doing everything they possibly can to help you get better. So you're able to get better. They've got skills coaches. They've got power skating instructors. They've got off-ice movement specialists. They've got wonderful development coaches. They've got staff in both Tampa and Syracuse that are constantly in communication with the players, understanding where they're at. Um, the equipment managers, the equipment staff we had in, Tam- in Syracuse and in Tampa, I, I can't speak highly enough about. And when you have all those things, as a player, just on the ice, you're able to improve. You're able to do all those things because they're all there for you. Um, and what it means mentally, I think, is even uh, the bigger part. Because when you're in the American Hockey League, I'll use, I'll use that. I'll speak to that because I was predominantly in the American Hockey League when I was in the Syracuse or it was in the Tampa organization. Pardon me. And when you're in the American Hockey League and you know that the organization is treating every player as an asset and treating every player with the same respect and giving them the same opportunity to improve. For someone like myself who's coming in at the age of 28, 29, uh, it just gives you that much more confidence. It gives you some reassurance that this organization sees something in me. I want to do the best I can then for them. They're willing to put the time and effort in. Why shouldn't I? Because sometimes when you're a bit older, you might get lost in the fold. And I, I don't think that's organizations doing you, I'm not saying it's doing a disservice, but at the same time, priorities need to be put in place. And when there's younger players who the organization has invested heavily in both monetarily and time-wise, they want to make sure that they're getting everything they can out of those players. So sometimes the older players might not be higher on their priority list, but when you're with Tampa, I felt right from the jump, they were a team that immediately made you feel like, Hey, you're important. If you want to do something to get better, it's available to you. And what that does for you as a player is it just gives you that much more confidence coming to the rink every day. And when you're, when you're in that type of mindset, it's much more of a growth mindset. It's you're able to improve as a player and in such improve as a team. Yeah. Scott Hauser, he's a great man, a great person and a real smart hockey guy. Um, I remember when I was in Columbus, I, I used to, uh, he used to say, Hey, you don't have to be scared of me or like that. Cause I used to just, 
I, 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 I was always nervous of getting sent down. So I was like, if he can't find me, then he can't send me down. So. <laughs> there you go. That's the, that's what approach. The rink, but yeah, but, uh, but <laughs> Scott used to always say, "Hey, don't you know, be nervous like that." But uh, yeah, no, Scott was awesome. He was great. I had a good good relationship with him, and um, even when he traded me to Montreal, um, he called me, and it, it was a good conversation. And, um, you know, it's, it's awesome. He's taken over the HL now. It's such a good league and he's a great person and, uh, he's the right person to lead the, lead the league. So, uh, it's good for him. Could you recognize the voices there? Well, we'll find out. They'll be the first couple of guests of season two of the show, but there'll be so many more coming your way as well. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you can get the new episodes delivered directly to your device when they drop each and every Monday. That'll do it for us this week, though, on the show. We hope you enjoy this little listen back to some of the highlights of Season 1 and get you ready for Season 2, which comes your way next week, Episode 1 of Season 2 of Crunch Chronicles. For all of us with the Syracuse Crunch, I'm Lucas Favale saying so long for now. We'll catch you next week with the season premiere of Season 2 of Crunch Chronicles. Crunch Chronicles.